farmers, faith, and climate change. That's the focus of this week's Fordham Conversations. Good morning, I'm Robin Shannon. I'm handing hosting duties over to David Goodwin, the Assistant Director of the Fordham Center on Religion and Culture. He's joined by Matt Russell, Executive Director of Iowa Interfaith Power and Light. The state-based organization invites farmers to get together and act on climate change. The next voice you'll hear is David Goodwin's. Why do you see uh, this dilemma or this this uh, dynamic where farmers have not been seen as agents as far as combating climate change? Why have they been seen as uh, roadblocks or passive figures in that in these discussions and in these these actions? Well, I mean, on on the one side, kind of the. I really think about it. Farmers have been invited to be. When I say farmers, I really mean Iowa farmers is, is our grounded experience. Um, but I think this could be said about a lot of American farmers, not just Iowa farmers. But you know, our work is grounded in in Iowa farmers. So if you look at the way Iowa farmers have been invited to be part of the dialogue or or the conversation or the action on climate, there's really been two two narratives. One is um, a climate skeptic approach, and that's, you know, agribusiness has supported that. Um, some farm organizations have supported that. And certainly uh, kind of a Republican political position has supported that, you know, farmers, um, climate change in general, we don't, you know, the climate, where we're at right now, this has evolved over time, but where we are right now today is the climate is changing. It's always been changing. There's more extreme weather, and yeah, we have to be more resilient. We have to figure out how to adapt, but there's, we don't know what the science is, and we know that there's a lot of political, environmental uh, gamesmanship uh, around climate, and if we engage in climate solutions, then we're gonna lose out to the Chinese, uh, we're gonna unleash the power of, re- of government to regulate us out of existence, and the you know the the liberals and the environmentalists they really want to just take down what we do they don't understand what we do as farmers and you know they want to do meatless mondays and you know just that's one very heavily resourced kind of extreme and on the other side is the environment like the second way is an environmental approach of look farming agriculture is 25 percent of global emissions uh, you've got CAFOs, industrial lag, all these things that are causing the problems. And you farmers, you just got to change. <clears throat> and then the third way that's kind of emerged in the last couple of years is farmers as victims. So look, you're flooding, you're droughting, you're, um, you, know, you can't get your crops in, you can't get your crops out, and look how much you're suffering. Um, and we certainly saw that in the, in the caucus cycle. Um, people assuming that the reason farmers were engaged on climate is because of all the flooding. And so those are the three positions, none of which actually invites farmers to be part of the solution. And that's the actual key. That's the key to getting anybody engaged with helping solve a problem is to invite them into helping solve the problem. So generally, uh, the whole issue of climate change doesn't get talked about with farmers, right? So it's not real, so there's no reason to talk about it. Or it is real, and farmers are causing the problem. 
and we've got the solutions. So, or farmers are victims, like they're mm -hmm. finally on their knees and now that's why they want to become part, you know, they're talking about climate change because they finally admitted that they were wrong and that they are suffering and they're on their knees. None of those are good to engage people in social movement, right? And it's actually getting people to engage in, in, in the policy solutions that are needed. And the way we're in, in, engaging farmers is, is um, not accepting any of those things, but going to farmers themselves and saying, hey, what does this mean to you? And how do you see it? And so, that's, go ahead. Oh, no, no, no. So you're, what I'm hearing, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, is you're attempting to create a fourth narrative or a fourth option for farmers, a positive, empowering yeah. narrative. Um, yeah, we're, we're not accepting those other narratives mm -hmm. because farmers didn't create those narratives. Other people have created those narratives that then farmers are supposed to, you know, accept. Mm -hmm. and, and because I'm a farmer and I've been in Iowa and I've, I've, I've been around ag policy as well as, you know, farm programs and, and knowing that in conversations, private conversations with farmers, farmers were thinking about climate change in a much more nuanced way than most people were engaging with them. Mm -hmm. And so knowing that, that's what I knew our work could be inviting them to talk about that with each other. And it's a real simple idea that, that get farmers talking to each other about how they feel about climate change. And, and then once they start to develop that message that they're comfortable with, you know, it's theirs, that then they'd be willing to step out publicly to talk about that with the media and with you know presidential candidates and with campaign or with elected leaders and congressional staff um and that's what we've seen is that when farmers have developed this message that look climate change is a really big problem we're rural americans farmers um rural landowners we're really capable of helping solve this problem because our core identity is we solve problems and how we're going to do that is we've got to lead. We've got to be at the table leading the discussion and we have to change the economics so that when we deliver the benefits, we actually get paid for it. Hmm. And how, how are farmers responding to your message, uh, especially the faith-based component of your message? Well, I mean, the faith-based component is how we start, right? Because everything we do is grounded in, in values that we share across faith tradition. Right. So, so the way we work, we're interfaith. So we work kind of in two ways. One is regardless, you know, wh whoever, wherever you land in, in the faith community. So if you are, you know, a Lutheran or a Catholic or Jewish or Muslim, or you don't really identify as being part of a faith community, but, but where are you personally, spiritually go deeper, right? That's our, that's our call is our challenge is go into that tradition, go into those beliefs, and that is fuel for your action. And then we lift up the values, and then, you know, how can you, how can you as a Catholic, and you as a Lutheran, and you as a Jewish person, how can you work together because you share these common values? So it's to go deeper in your own tradition, and then connect that work with other faith traditions. And so with farmers, they're not all Catholic, I mean, they're not all Christian, but a lot of them are Christian, and we're, we're holding these meetings in Christian churches in rural Iowa. Um, so we start there. We start with, 
you know, how is God or, you know, how is your spirituality calling you in your vocation as a farmer? That's our starting point, right? And so that's the beginning of the discussion. And so once we've had that discussion, everybody in the room has a common sense of being called to this vocation of agriculture and farming. And then you change, then you follow up with, in this climate crisis, how is God calling you to respond as a farmer? Right? Not, not, not what's the practice, not what's the politics. It's you as a farmer who've already said that you know this is something that you that you have a deep identity and this is your vocation. So how are you engaged? And then um, the third question is what's the what are the challenges? What's preventing you from responding to that call? And then the final question is what needs to change? We do that over and over with every group. Um, we capture what they're saying. We develop that. And so we help develop that message, boil it down, put some nuance to it, and get it back to farmers. So it's really their message. And then they have the confidence to be able to stand up because they know that they're not the only ones who feel this way. In fact, you know, there's, there's dozens of farmers around the state um, that feel the same way. And some of them are Republicans and some of them are Democrats and some of them are 6,000 acre corn and soybean farmers and some of them are small livestock farmers. Um, some of them are very small um, organic CSA farmers. But collectively, they have a way of talking about it that makes sense to all of them. And everybody can be part of that solution. That's fascinating. That almost sounds as if it's walking someone through a spiritual exercise. I mean, I'm, 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 I'm sitting here uh, as a, an employee of Fordham University, it's a Jesuit university, and when I heard you describing the conversation and the process, I was thinking, oh, that sounds much like the Ignatian exercises. Uh, so I, I don't know if you, if you agree or not, but I, I just thought that was an interesting parallel. Um, yeah, well, I know. so part of all of this is, we're, I'm, I mean, we're learning all the time, and, and every conversation I have, whether it's with farmers or I'm listening or I'm doing an interview, I'm always learning something. And so I, I really appreciate that insight. Um, you know, we, we weren't necessarily doing, you know, an Ignatian spiritual exercise, but we definitely were thinking about this in terms of a spiritual exercise in the sense of this is spiritual work. That we start with that and, and we trust as, a, as an organization, faith-based organization, is that we trust that if we, if we invite people through relationship into the work and we provide a facilitated process that's grounded in who we say we are as an organization and who we believe kind of higher power uh, you know, cosmology, if we, if we believe in all of that, we put it all to work and then we trust that something amazing is gonna come out of it because that's the way the spirits of the universe work, right? I mean, that's, that's, that's what we say we believe, so we should probably implement what we say we believe versus just doing the political work, which is important, but lots of people are doing the political work. What people aren't doing is the thoughtful, you know, um, exercises in a spiritual way. And so when you say that, it does resonate, even though, you know, we didn't necessarily model it after that, it makes perfectly good sense. And, uh, and you mentioned a calling, and the farmers have a calling. Did you feel you had a call to farming? Oh, yeah. I, I, so, so a little background. I was almost a Catholic priest. Ah. So my first 10 years of, of um, 
you know, professional life, kind of the last two years of college and then seminary and then teaching Catholic high school in Las Vegas at Bishop Gorman High School and then working two years at Catholic Rural Life. I mean, that's really the first 10 years of, of my career um, was all, you know, ministry, faith, work, and ministry. And then I went to graduate school, got my master's in rural sociology in 2003. So from like 2001 till a couple of years ago was really all secular work, but, you know, very much formed in terms of spiritual journey and discipleship um, and then connecting that to sustainability. And so for me, call and vocation have been incredibly important you know, in my own development. And then thinking about how that plays out, uh, lots of folks don't have the same language that I have in terms of being able to understand it or talk about it. But it's, but it's a dynamic, it's an energy, it's a, it's a way of living that I think most people can connect with. And so using that experience and then putting it into a practice um, that, that doesn't lose people because you're, you know, it's it's all theological, mm-hmm. uh, or that it's all political. No, it's just kind of a way of getting people together. We 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 come together in a sacred space. We have a meal together. We open with prayer, and we get people talking. Mm-hmm. And then we trust that in that the spirit is present, and and what needs to emerge will emerge, mm-hmm. and it's worked pretty well. This is Fordham Conversations on 90.7 WFUV. Today's host is David Goodwin, the Assistant Director of the Fordham Center on Religion and Culture. He's sitting down with Matt Russell, Executive Director of Iowa Interfaith Power and Light. The two are discussing farmers, faith, and climate change. So earlier in our conversation, you mentioned the Iowa caucus and the presidential candidates that came through. Um, last year, you wrote a column or an op-ed in the New York Times saying that uh, politicians were not speaking a language that farmers could uh, understand or were not even addressing issues that were important to farmers. And in a, new, in a recent New Yorker video profile, uh, you mentioned that your farm, uh, Coyote Run Farm, is that correct, the name of the farm? Yep. Became almost a de facto campaign stop for presidential candidates. Uh, when you talk with them, what did you say to them? What advice did you give them? And did they follow it? Yeah. Um, so, so lots of layers here. I'll try not to get lost into the weeds, but just kind of an overview is, so I had the opportunity to lead this organization. I've been working on agriculture and climate change for five or six years at Drake University Agricultural Law Center. So I was working in the secular world on agriculture, climate change. Um, you know, the, the papal encyclical had come out. I'd, I'd written, a, I'd written a, a piece on that actually in National Catholic Reporter and, and Echo Beat, that's first beat as well. And so very much in my mind thinking about all this, and I had this opportunity in 2018 to become this director. And when I interviewed, I said, if you hire me, we're going to work with farmers because it's a really important thing that can happen. If we can get farmers talking about climate change, if we can change that narrative, it has huge implications. And we're leading up to the caucus cycle. There's going to be this big opportunity with media and and the political world, a new platform for farmers to stand on and, and speak this new narrative. 
So that was the strategy. And um, I underestimated a couple of things. And they were one, how long it would take farmers to be ready to speak publicly. I way underestimated or overestimated. Like I thought if we did all this work at the beginning of 2000, end of 2018, the beginning of 2019, by the fall, we'd have farmers ready to kind of get to some, some town halls and start talking to candidates and kind of create this new narrative. They were ready to go third meeting out in March. They're talking, like Republican farmers are talking to a reporter from, who's writing a piece for Mother Jones. And they're like, yeah, sure, you can come to my farm. I'll talk climate change with you. That was amazing. Like I had no, I had no idea that, that they would do it that fast. And the, and the second thing is that how many, like 100%, every single media interest in the last year that has called us and said, can we talk to farmers about climate change? 100%, we've been able to connect them with farmers. So we've had a couple dozen farmers, um, well, just short of a couple dozen farms that we've been able to get into media pieces. Um, so back to the, to the caucuses and to the candidates, um, you know, we had three candidates come through our farm, but we were also getting other farmers and rural folks to public forums to sit down with candidates. So the narrative that, that two things, if you remember, I said the way farmers framed it was why, who, and how. Why, this is a really big problem. Who, us, farmers. And how do we? We lead and we change the economics. And that message just reiterated over and over and, and pay farmers for climate services showed up in all but two national debates. <laughs> um, all of the town halls, the two, the two town halls and almost all the candidates talked about farmers being part of the solution. We got to pay them. That was the message from our farmers. Now, back to your original question about how, how kind of climate active, like in climate action and a lot of other progressive policy positions, this is how, how the left has been engaging with rural America. It's upside down. Remember why, who, and how? You start with why because that's the most important. The left has been organizing in rural America exactly upside down. They start with how, and then who, and then why. And it goes like this. How, here's the issues, the policies, we focus scripted it, the consultants. This is the how we're, this is, this is how we're gonna save you. And we're gonna do it, me, I'm the politician, I'm coming, that's the who, and the why, because you guys are rural America and, and you're really struggling, right? You're killing yourselves, opioids, hospitals are failing, your farms are failing, you know, look what Trump has done to the markets. In other words, here's how it's gonna be, I figured it out, I'm coming with the solutions because you guys are helpless. Terrible way to try to organize people. Right, just, just, and, mm -hmm. and it shows, right? Mm -hmm. On environment, on, on lots of progressive things, rural America's not stepping up part, a lot because of the way they're being like organized and talked to. So, so that's part of that change is, is helping those candidates understand, look, if you wanna talk to farmers about climate change and actually anything, start with why because why is this important and then second the who is not you as a candidate the who is 
who you're talking to, and the how is get them into a leadership position, help them change the dynamics. And in case of climate, it's change the economics so that when farmers are part of the solution, capturing carbon in their soils, reducing the emissions, and when farmers are actually delivering what the scientists, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change special report on land use last fall, when the scientists said, this is what we need, then the farmers are saying, we can do that, but right now all the economics are like, they don't support that. If I do that stuff, it's an investment on my part. I take on more risk. And in the short term, I don't get the benefit. The world gets the benefit, but I don't. And the economics are upside down. So the farmer that's taking all the shortcuts doesn't do the environmental practices, maybe has a leaky system, you know, an animal system that's leaking pollution or, you know, a, a cropping system that destroys the health of the soil and, and you're getting nutrients leaching. That farmer doesn't pay the cost of that. And so the economics are upside down. I'm glad you mentioned the how, because uh, in the National Catholic Reporter article, you talked about regenerative uh, agriculture. And what, yep. what is that for those who don't know? What, what is that and how might that look on a, a family farm or a, a larger, more agribusiness farm? So let's start the conversation in climate. And, and what we've experienced in the last hundred years or so is the fossil fuel era. And that fossil fuel era, we use the energy of fossil fuels to force nature to do what we needed it to do, to move our bodies, to build our buildings, um, to grow our crops, to move those crops, right? We use the fossil fuel energy to, to, to force nature to do what we needed it to do. And it's all built on a model of scarcity. You either got the fossil fuels or you don't. And it's kind of like we have to use these fossil fuels to force nature to do what we need it to do. It's a scarcity model. If you got the fossil fuels, you can do it. If you don't, you, you can't. But in that 100-year era, a lot of really great things happened, including in agriculture. But now we're in this feedback loop, and climate change is the top of that feedback loop saying, this doesn't work anymore. You're out of right, you, you know, you're not in right relationship. It, there's an environmental problem. You're not in right relationship with each other because we look now at the indicators, equity is going down, the women empowerment is going down, literacy is going down. Like we're seeing conflict is increasing. And then at the top of all this is, is a, a destabilizing climate that's causing you know, catastrophic environmental problems. So the party's over. Doesn't mean it was a horrible party but the era of scarcity is over and the future, what does that look like? It's abundance. Instead of using fossil fuels to force nature, we're embracing creation as the solution. And so we're partnering with nature, with creation, and we've got all the technology and all the 10,000 years of agricultural history to draw on, but it's a changed mentality. And, and so regenerative agriculture moves from the reductionist fossil fuel intensive you know agriculture that that is currently the dominant way of growing things to changing the way we're growing things it doesn't mean abandon it it doesn't mean tear it all down but it means changing the mindset so instead of using you know industrial fertilizer and petrochemicals and and big equipment more passes over the field it's 
what can we do with nature? So, you know, and there's five practice areas. We can do energy on our farms. We can generate energy. It's wind, it's solar, it's methane digesters. There's some storage capacity that farmers can innovate and figure out. So energy, ethanol, liquid fuels, biofuels. The, the biofuels as our liquid fuels, that's regenerative. That's partnering with creation. Then conservation tillage. How do we till the land as little as possible? Doesn't mean you never till it, but you come up with new ways so that you're tilling as little as possible. You are integrating livestock. So it's managed grazing, it's nutrient management. We've kind of separated. We've got livestock here and crops here, and it's not a circular system, and there's a lot of leakage. But when you bring the, the crops and the livestock back together, then you create these circular systems that, that are regenerative. It's something growing all the time. Cover crops is an example, but it's, it's, am I managing my land so that something is growing all the time? Right now, if I'm in Iowa and I'm doing corn and soybeans, the dominant system is something's growing for half the year, and then it's all dead the other half. Mm. And we know and then we use fossil fuels, right, to till mm -hmm. and the chemicals and then we add the nutrients. That's, that's the scarcity model. Like the land isn't enough. We have to add all this stuff to it. The abundance model is nature can do this. How do I partner with nature so that the nutrients are cycling, the carbon is cycling, the water is cycling, and I'm partnering with that and managing it. And the last thing is extending the crop rotations. We can't just grow corn and soybeans in Iowa. We have to grow corn and soybeans and oats and legumes and alfalfa and other crops. Mm -hmm. Because if we only grow corn and soybeans, we have to use all that fossil fuel to make that possible with chemicals, nutrients, uh, you know, equipment tilling and, and breaking, forcing nature to try to do something that it doesn't want to do. How do we shift, right? So sorry to kind of get off on a tangent oh, no. there, but, oh. but it's, the foundation is we're moving from an era of scarcity in being invited into an era of abundance. This is, a, the next 20 years is, is every bit and much, actually probably much bigger of a transition than, you know, from like the, in agriculture from the 30s to the 50s. The 20 year period, like at the end of, you know, the, the end of the agricultural systems before the, the fossil fuel era. So like, you know, the 20s and the 30s. And then 20 years later, by the 50s, it's all tractors and hybrids and petrochemicals. We've narrowed what's grown on farms, right? We are fully into the fossil fuel era, big transition from now to the next 20 years, so this is 2020, by 2040, we have got to make that transition and it will be as transformative as, as the transition into the green revolution, transition into the next revolution will be every bit as big and, and transformational. And all of the science is suggesting that it can be even more beneficial to farms, communities, uh, countries the whole globe like the collateral benefits of this transformation to, to address climate uh the collateral benefits are enormous equity can increase security can increase um you know personal mobility can actually increase maybe not for everybody if my mobility depends on other people's not having mobility but in general probably we're going to keep expanding personal mobility into the future. And we're going to do that not by the 
forcing scarcity model of fossil fuels. But we're going to be doing that by like, oh, we'll never run out of sun. We'll never run out of wind. The power of the tides. Oh, and by the way, regenerative agriculture, the power of living systems on our planet, super abundant. Mm -hmm. That sounds, I mean, that sounds challenging, but it sounds inspiring overall, the, this program that you just laid out and the possibilities of regenerative yeah. agriculture. Yeah, that, that is so key. Yeah. That is so key because we are inviting farmers into doing what they want to do, which is grow things, mm. right? We're not saying you have to stop doing what you're doing and become somebody else. What we're saying is, hey, you're a farmer. You solve problems, you grow things. That's exactly what we need going to change but look you've always changed right mm -hmm. that's part of farming you don't just do the same thing over and over you're always adjusting so you are exactly the kind of person that the world needs a problem solver who's managing living systems in a complex way who can figure things out because you solve problems that's who we need who god needs is who you are My thanks to David Goodwin for stepping in as host. He's the assistant director of the Fordham Center on Religion and Culture. I'd also like to thank Matt Russell, executive director of Iowa Interfaith Power and Light. For WFUV's Fordham Conversations, I'm Robin Shannon.